Welcome to the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast in partnership with Insurance Nerds. In this episode, we'll be discussing how millennials and technology are changing the insurance industry and how it all impacts financial preparedness. I'm pleased to have with me today, Nick Lamparelli. Nick, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. A little bit about Nick. Nick is the Chief Underwriting Officer of Rethought Insurance, a tech-centric MGA, Master General Agent, dealing in the natural catastrophe space, and partner, blogger, and podcaster for Insurance Nerds. Good morning again, Nick. Yes, I'm, uh, it's exciting to be on the other side of this versus <laughs> being the one that's running it. So uh, this should be fun. Yeah, no, it's, I, I thought this would be interesting, you know, to hear what you have to say because you glean so much knowledge from everybody that you talk to. So let, let's plunge in. Let's talk a little bit about what you do. Uh, what do I do? I spend most of my days doing uh, one of three things. I'm either uh, placing insurance-related business through my MGA. Uh, Right now, it's predominantly on the flood area. So uh, we write a lot of commercial and high net worth residential flood. If I'm not doing that, uh, I might be making a video or a podcast for insurance nerds. Uh, And if I'm not doing that, then I'm chasing two kids around. (laughs) Which is definitely a full-time job. That's right. So, you know, uh, you have two different things going on, you know, two almost full-time jobs. Uh, How do you find the balance with all these different things that you're doing? Uh, Medication. Uh, That that helps a lot. Uh, Yeah, it's a a struggle. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I ask on my podcast, I always finish off uh, every episode asking folks what, how they stay productive and organized because it's struggle. Um, you know, one, one of the worst parts about uh, being in two startup-like businesses, I wouldn't even classify them as startups anymore because they're so ma- old and mature, but being in two small businesses and having children is, uh, you know, my inability to control my calendar gets to be problematic. It's hard to plan days. Uh, because they're just uh, constant fires to put out. And, uh, you know, that can be everything from, hey, we have this drop everything account that has to be worked on. So everything, you know, I drop everything and work on that account and then hopefully pick pick things up uh, later on or on the weekend, um, you know, to one of the kids are sick and I have to drop everything for that. So, uh, I, I don't have an answer. I don't have a good answer. I've, I've really struggled with trying to uh, manage all of that. And, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the lessons that I've learned doing this is that I have a lot more respect for leaders of organizations. I've always wondered, you know, like, how is it that the CEO doesn't have time to come meet with the employers or, or whatever? And now I understand why they don't have time because they're just, you know, it, it's, it's more than a full-time job trying to manage all of the responsibilities that go along with being an executive, not only of one firm, but two firms. Um, so yeah, um, weekends are full. It's pretty much seven day a week job. Now um, I'm trying to pull the reins back, but it's not easy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, I, I think very common in today's uh, environment is that so many of us are juggling multiple things. It's not the old world where you just did one job or one occupation. A lot of people have their, uh, you know, toes in multiple. Yeah. I mean, roles, the, the, uh, I mean, the whole term side hustle, mm-hmm. you know, is, is a thing now that's, between uh, the gig economy with Uber and other things, um, Fiverr, it's so easy to have a side hustle. It's mm-hmm. so easy to make a few bucks over in a diff- different bucket, but with that comes the responsibility of staying organized uh, to be able to execute on that. And so it's, uh, it's extremely challenging. I, I actually get a little bit of a buzz or a kick when I find something that I think will be useful. So mm-hmm. I know that like, um, you know, tools like Calendly 
and uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Uh, the one I have up now is youcanbookme.com or you can you can book dot me okay. and you can embed that into your email so that folks you don't have to play ping pong trying to schedule things with folks and um, you know as you know now with like podcasts that's a that's a very time consuming aspect of running a podcast is setting a schedule and oh, yeah. so I've now like I'm ne- I'm so frantic trying to manage all of this I have now I'm now trying to be committed to doing that and just putting in blocks of time and just saying, if you want to schedule a podcast with me, here you go. Have at it, book it rather than us going back and forth, trying to play, uh, you know, playing ping pong, but trying to figure out a time. It's uh, time consuming and really stressful. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that is one of the biggest stresses just in the business world in general is scheduling. Even a phone call can be you know, a chore. <laughs> Yeah. So. You open on Thursday. Okay. What time Thursday? Not two, but two thirty. And it could, you know, if you, uh, I, I get an email, um, from Cal Newport who wrote, uh, several books and now is writing several books on, uh, you know, the digital phenomenon and tr- how to be a digital minimalist. And his mm-hmm. email this morning was about that was about, um, you know, just scheduling. If you think about how many emails it takes to, to schedule a phone call, it usually takes two mm-hmm. or three emails. Multiply that yeah. by several people and multiply that by several days a week. And you can see that that can easily take up hours of your time during the week. And that's probably where a lot of my very valuable time is going. And so I've now decided my time's too valuable to be playing mm-hmm. that, you know, that sort of ping pong. Uh, that I, I have to find a technological solution to it. Oh, that's great. What was the name of that uh, website again? So I can get it in the show notes. You can book dot me. So you can book me. It was just uh, terrific, terrific uh, branding. Great, great. I'll have to mention that. So for all listeners, that will be in the show notes. Uh, so Nick, you know, you came from a very traditional property and casualty background. Uh, you know, and to becoming an advocate for integrating technology into insurance is how did you make that transition or did that just kind of flow for you? I think it just kind of flowed, Tony. Um, I, I did come from a more traditional background. So I've been in the agency system, the brokerage system. I've done underwriting. I've been, uh, for those in your audience that may or may not be familiar uh, I've been on the ENS side, excess and surplus lines, which is a kind of a sandbox style of insurance where it's uh, less regulated mm-hmm. uh, type of insurance. I've uh, spent a considerable amount of time there. And, you know, I, I think my career, I didn't, you know, I've always loved technology, but my career has always been like, I got this one problem. How do I solve this one problem? And mm-hmm. I didn't care what I used. It just so happens that in, as um, you know, society has progressed with digital technology, digital technology became a go-to area to solve a lot of that, those problems. But I remember my first job in, in the agency world. I remember um, having folks who would literally show up to my, uh, my bricks, brick and mortar office mm-hmm. to pay me for some insurance premium that was due and uh, asking someone in my office, why can't folks use a credit card? Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of like scratched their heads. Like, what do you mean? That's, it was almost like blasphemous that yeah. <laughs> you would use a credit card. So, you know, this was in the nineties, but you know, mm-hmm. the uh, email and the internet was starting to take off and you could buy a book online with a credit card. Why couldn't you pay for your insurance online? And why couldn't you use a credit card? I didn't understand. That was like, you know, insurance companies were struggling with the problem of getting people to pay. Why wouldn't you make it as easy as possible for them to pay? And so for me, it wasn't that I ran to technology or uh, to try to implement it. It was more about, hey, we have this problem. How do we solve it? Technology in a lot of cases was uh, digital technology was uh, a big part of that solution. Yeah, it definitely. Well, you know, it's funny though, is some insurance companies still don't do credit card or online payments. It, it, it amazes me. 
seems like the insurance industry is definitely late to the party on a lot of the technology issues. Completely. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they don't have the incentive to do it. And until mm -hmm. that incentive uh, comes in, uh, they'll just keep doing business as usual. <clears throat> definitely. Well, and business for them still remains successful. So, uh, you know, let's, let's get into Rethought Insurance a little bit. Uh, you know, what makes Rethought Insurance so unique? So I think it, I think a lot of it is just a, the business philosophy of just trying to solve problems. As I mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, I, it got started. Well, uh, my, my background to getting, you know, wanting to get something started was with hurricane Sandy. Um, okay. I lived in New York at the time and, you know, the New York city and New Jersey area were devastated. Uh, by that, lots of flooding. And I saw how poorly the industry was um, resolving issues around flood. And I just thought there has to be a better way. Like there, mm -hmm. there has to be a reason why it's one, there has to be a reason why it's like this. Why is it like yeah. this? What, what is particular to flood that makes this unusual? And second, uh, are, is there any way to fix it? And the insurance industry was backwards when it comes to for, for both of those areas. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't know why the problem existed mm -hmm. and they had no interest in trying to fix it. You know, th there's a government solution. Let's just let them do that. And I, I was just completely dissatisfied with that. So the more, Tony, the more that I dug into it, the more I realized there, there wasn't a sufficient reason why flood uh, wasn't covered more often, you know? Um, take the home that I live in here. Um, my home would be, I think every, anyone that was looking at this reasonably would say you have a very low probability of flood. And even if a flood occurred, it wouldn't be catastrophic. It'd be a nuisance. Right. Yeah. And yet I couldn't find, I would have trouble finding a traditional underwriter who would underwrite it. Why? Because flood, flood is like the boogeyman of mm -hmm. insurance and uh, it just it didn't make any sense to me this is low risk why wouldn't you just include this in in my homeowner's policy or in my tenant's policy it just didn't make any sense to me and so uh where rethought sprouted was just kind of a convergence of um technology a convergence of i think where the industry was heading towards with how they were dealing with hurricane i felt like we could take a lot of the solutions we were do, we were implementing to solve uh, wind-related problems in Florida, and we could implement those for flood. Um, and just getting the right co-founders together who had the same sort of mentality: "Hey, let's solve this problem." Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, one; it's it's good for society, but it's it's it could be immensely lucrative to solve mm -hmm. this problem. So uh, why don't we do it? So that's that's pretty much the genesis of how it started. Well, it's great because I, I think you point out something that's, you know, so deep with insurance and, you know, and, and other industries as well is that, you know, it industries have formed around a certain concept or a certain way of doing business and they don't look at why they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, people don't question you know, why something is, and you, you even see it across the financial services spectrum with so many different products is like, why is something done this way? This doesn't make any sense, but yet it's always, it's the way it's always been done. And people are oftentimes amazed at consumers that they're not interested uh, in what we're doing as an industry, you know, inside the insurance industry and with the greater financial services industry. I mean, so, so would you agree with that, that, you know, applying this principle could help out the greater financial services community? Tony, take a concept as simple as a deductible, mm -hmm. right? Why do we have deductibles? There's a few reasons why. I think even insurance professionals take for granted why we have a deductible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the two, the two biggest areas for, for having a deductible would be to align the interest of the, of the insured and the insurer and uh, as a mechanism to make the insurance more, more uh, affordable, yeah. right? If you take that first part though, aligning the interest, if you had other technology that could align interests, 
there would be no need for a deductible, especially in catastrophic risks. Mm -hmm. um, in, in natural catastrophes, the deductible does not play a meaningful impact in the premium. There's yeah. not a lot of savings to be had by going from a $5,000 deductible to a $10,000 deductible. And in areas like Florida for hurricane, going to a $50,000 deductible doesn't really save you a lot of money because you're dealing about, you're, you're talking about a peril that is catastrophic. You're mm -hmm. You have the potential to lose everything. So, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. Yet, try to get a deductible removed or try to have it have some kind of uh, play where you change the policy language around a deductible. It would be impossible for most insurers to do that. Why? Because everything is set up in a certain way. This is the mm -hmm. way we've always done it. They take it for granted what the deductible is and what it means. And so for us, it's like, well, um, can we use elements like that to make our policy language better, easier to read? Can we do this to make uh, the sales process easier? You know, is mm -hmm. this a bell and whistle? So we're trying to implement things in the industry uh, where if these things get implemented by the policyholder, we would waive the deductible in a particular mm -hmm. event. And so you're right. Like I see it all the time. It's, you know, one of the reasons why working with insurance companies is so difficult is that everything is set in concrete and it's just too difficult for them to pivot off of that. And uh, it, it is creating this massive opportunity for new entrants to come in and do things in a slightly different way. But um, it's not easy. No, not at all. I mean, you're talking about, you know, uh, insurance and, you know, the greater financial services industry, the typical immovable object, yeah. you know, yeah. you know and, and I'm not in the life space as much as you are, but uh, from what I hear, the life space is even worse. Oh yeah. You it, know, it, and then property casualty, because at least property casualty, there's a lot of touch points. Mm -hmm. you, you know, your policies are annual or semi-annual, uh, so there's a lot of interaction. You're much more likely to have a claim. Uh, so there's a lot more touch points when it comes to PNC. So I think they've evolved to uh, manage to those touch points. Uh, life insurance, you may have two touch points when you buy it and when someone dies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there could be like decades in between. So from what I understand, life uh, and the annuity business could be even worse and so I, I just think there's this massive opportunity to think, what are we, what is it that we're actually trying to solve here? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and how would we do this from scratch if we had to? Yeah, I, I think that's really it is that we miss the whole point that insurance is about leveraging risk at its core that, you know, we could do things so much in a more simple fashion. You know, I, I, I know this was, going off topic a little bit, but, you know, are you familiar with the three policy? I think it's called yeah. that. Uh, the three pager. Yeah. What do you think about that? I don't know yet. I would like <laughs> to see how the, how the claims uh, for, for those that uh, for, for those in your audience that may not be aware, uh, Berkshire Hathaway has backed either backed an internal entity or an external entity that has created a three page commercial insurance policy. And um, it seems like it's open-ended. I think the idea is that a lot of insurance claims costs, especially on the liability side, have to deal with court cases and lawyers. And so if you pretty much just cover everything, you can mm -hmm. do away with those costs and there would be some sort of uh, you know, counteracting uh, leverage on the other side. Uh, I guess the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. uh, to, when I first read about it, Tony, it seemed like it went too far, too easy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, is it, is it really a three-page policy or is that just sort of like the preamble to yeah. a more complex policy? Uh, I think the proof is in the pudding. I'd like to see more. Well, definitely. You know, and it kind of relates to something uh, – that somebody in the life insurance industry said a long time ago is on uh, life insurance policies is the companies will typically charge an extra premium if somebody has a health issue 
and those extra premiums remain on the life of the policy. And this underwriter argued that, you know, you could just remove those after 10 years and there would be no real difference to the insurance company's bottom line yeah. after 10 years. And, you know, I think that's a huge problem in the insurance industry and the greater financial services industry is that everything is made more complex. I'm a huge believer in Occam's razor that sometimes the simplest solution is the correct solution that, you know, we're as, as an industry and as a broader industry is we're just making everything so complicated that people just don't want to deal with their insurance. They don't want to deal with their finances is, you it's know, worse it, than that. It's worse than that though. We're making things so complicated, Tony, that it's, we can't, um, not, not, it's not just the relationship between the customer and the insurer, but just internally at these mm -hmm. insurance companies and the stakeholders of the insurance companies, things are so complicated. It's just hard to get anything done. Creation yeah. of new products, dealing with regulators, like everything is like pulling, pulling teeth. And, uh, you know, for a young professional coming in, that's a digital native, they see this and it's a turnoff. Why would mm -hmm. I want to work in an industry where it's, you can't get anything done. Um, and, and I, and I think, you know, one of the advantages of a bringing of, um, getting young professionals to come in, getting young professionals to get excited about insurance is that the older people are going to die off, frankly. I mean, mm -hmm. Uh, un, un, unless there's a miracle cure that I'm not sure about, we, we will all have an end date. And I think there's going to be a, a transition um, as we go from baby boomers to whatever generation I'm classified in to the generation after us. And now the young professionals that are, um, you know, graduating from school and coming in, uh, there's going to be, uh, they're not going to put up with it. And they're also going to bring a different <laughs> social, social fabric right? They're not only they're going to want to solve problems, but the bottom line will not necessarily just be, Hey, let's get into insurance to make money. It'll mm -hmm. be, we have an opportunity to do a social good here. Yeah. And I think those are, that's going to be awesome uh, to see. I, I hope I can see it in my lifetime. I know that's the modus operandi that, you know, we try to function on is I don't want it to just be a win-win between us and our policyholders. I want it to be a win-win-win us, our policyholders and our relationship benefits society. Uh, to me, it's like, it has to be that kind of triangular approach to it. And that's where a lot of the young professionals coming in, they're going to change that. They're not just going to put up with, um, I'm the customer and you should treat me better. It's, you have an opportunity here to do better by society. You know, you serve a valuable function, do it, you know, clean mm -hmm. up your act, clean up your own internal system so that, so that you can, you know, work better with regulators, work better internally and create better products. So, you know, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox, but I'm, I'm very adamant and passionate about that. Well, I, I think that ties into opening up the conversation to insurance nerds. Um, you know, is that seems to be one of the core uh, philosophies of insurance nerds that, you know, there's a whole new wave of people coming into the industry and they feel a different way about how they interact with things. I mean, yeah. you know, was, was that a big part of, you know, forming insurance nerds? Yeah, so I was not one of the founders. Insurance nerds was formed by Tony Kanyas and Carly Burnham. I joined later on and I joined because of that, Tony. Um, it, it was, I felt like my voice, my voice was always being muddied by corporate speak. Mm -hmm. You know, even when I published on professional blogs, I felt like I had to carry, uh, you know, the, the corporate speak in my backpack that I had to use in, in presenting myself, whether it was video or blog or whatever. And here was this refreshing approach that I thought, even as someone who's a little bit older, you know, I thought there has to be a better way to do this. And I want my voice to be heard and I can't be alone in mm -hmm. wanting that. 
And so my desire to join Insurance Nerds with Carly and Tony was, I thought there was that opportunity. I thought we could build a community. I thought we could build a platform where people could um, have a voice. We could talk about their careers. I, I just thought that's why the podcast was started on, uh, for Profiles and Risk. It was, I want to talk to professionals and show the world that it's not the stuffy uh, stereotype. Insurance is not like that. There are pockets in it, even in a big uh, bureaucratic mess that is a lot of these insurance companies. If you sat down with, sat down with the actuary, sat down with the reinsurance professionals, sat down with the predictive models, the catastrophe models, you, you sit down with these folks and you talk to them and what they, about what they do day to day, it's actually very interesting. You can actually see how it can benefit society. So insurance nerds was something I felt very passionate about. And I, I, you know, I felt like um, I could bring something to the table that would be very different than what Co Tony and Carly had already started. And we together could uh, leverage it. So the three of us would have the impact of 10 people. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, I love the concept of insurance nerds. It's uh you know, I, I think we do need to change as an industry. And, you know, to some degree, that's why I was, you know, real happy to run into uh, insurance nerds and become involved peripherally with insurance nerds is because, you know, I learned that a while ago or discovered the same thing you did is that, you know, the, the insurance industry has a way of talking and it's very narrow. And that it's very liberating to be able to talk as, you know, outside the industry, to not think as we always have in the industry is to, to broaden the scope. And that's one reason why insurance has such a reputation, you know, with the Woody Allen movie, you know, High Anxiety, Groundhog Day with mm -hmm. a life insurance agent is, you know, insurance does not have a great reputation. Nope. Uh, and it's known as a very dry uh, occupation. And, you know, as you and I both, I, I think you just took right on the head, is it's filled with some very thoughtful, smart uh, people who have, you know, who, who are really trying to do good things for people and really believe in what they're doing. Uh, but the industry as a whole is kind of, doesn't let people express themselves as individuals. No, no not at all. Uh, it's, it's a shame. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I pushed you to have your own podcast was, you know, I've interviewed, I've interviewed you a couple of times. I've read your books. Um, we've had other private conversations and we've met and had lunch personally. And you are doing something that I think is very important, Right. I would like to have you uh, voice that on our platform because I think I want to get you to an audience that you uh, would have potentially struggled with getting to um, because it's on the PNC side, which is different than yours. But to me, it's, these are natural compliments. What, you, what you're doing on the get ready side with financial preparedness is a natural compliment to the type of, of preparedness we should have on the PNC side. So to me, it was, that's exactly why we did this. It's, it's I've, you know, people like you uh, who have uh, something important to say, it's let's bring, let's ratchet this up a few notches. Let's raise our standards mm -hmm. um, without, without um, muddying your voice, without, you know, allowing you to, be able to uh, express what it is you need to express in your own unique way, which is, I can tell you, cool. So well, thank you. That's, I mean, that, that was, that is like a, a big motivation for us at Insurance Nerds. Definitely. Well, and that's what attracted me to Insurance Nerds as well. And, uh, I, you know, I started off at a multi-line agency. So I think perhaps I have more of a comfort level an understanding of property and casualty. And, you know, but I do remember uh, at the firm that there was a very, you know, we were part of a large, you know, brokerage operation uh, nationwide. And it, it, there was a, a wall between the property and casualty and the life and health people. 
and I could never understand why we're in the same business. You know, the, the products are different. Uh, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, I think we should title this podcast. It's worse than that, Tony, because not only is there a wall between the PNC and the life side, I know on the PNC side, there is a wall between the underwriting and the claims and the actuarial and the regulatory folks and the reinsurance folks. There's a wall up in a silo because, you know, in, in the industrial age, that's sort of how we wanted our firms to operate. But uh, that doesn't work anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, the wall is bigger and that is sp specifically and precisely the reasons why we wanted to have insurance nerds. Uh, yes, life. I wanted to bring, I wanted to get more PNC folks exposed to life. Uh, if I can get more life folks exposed to PNC, doubly good, but I wanted to get more underwriting folks exposed to claims and more mm -hmm. claims exposed to underwriting. And you'd be surprised at how much they think they know what the other person does and they don't. So it's like extremely important for us to open up those channels and have those conversations. Um, I know on the PNC side, I just never understood how you could, one could, an insurance company could create a product around some sort of PNC offering, auto, homeowners, property, whatever, and basically run through an entire product development and not have claims more intimately involved in mm -hmm. that. What are you seeing that's happening? You know, uh, where, where are customers complaining? Where are we denying things that we should be covering? I, I really, I have, I didn't have not seen that conversation except in, you know, the annual board meeting or the offsite where they have that quick conversation and then it kind of disintegrates. It, there's no carryover, spillover into actual being part of the product. And so, yeah, whether it's claims and underwriting, life and PC, you know, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why we're not selling life insurance in an auto insurance policy. Mm -hmm. I, I have still yet to find someone that's told me that that is illegal or the regulators wouldn't improve, wouldn't approve it. But wouldn't that be an awesome way to sell more life insurance is to embed it part of it, something into an auto policy. Yet I can't seem to get that conversation moving at all just because of everything we just discussed on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, medical expenses are included, you know, at a very minimal level. Yeah. But uh, life, I, like, you know, we're struggling with selling life. Why can't we, why can't we think of new ways to sell it? PNC has many more touch points. Sell life mm -hmm. with your PC, make it a year policy, nice term policy. Yeah. I bet there's but a way. Oh, I, I completely agree. But I do know that at the agency that I worked with, and it, this is going back a few years, is that the PNC guys, for the most part, you know, had, I don't know if they looked down on life and health, but they, they saw it as a very different industry serving a very different market in a very different way. And that's probably putting it very nicely. <laughs> so, it's a um, shame. It, it, it is a shame, you know, so, you know, with insurance nerds doing this is, you know, how is the insurance industry reacting to what you're doing with insurance nerds? Well, I think very positively. I think we're, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard not to go to a con uh, conference where someone doesn't recognize me. Uh, pull me aside right. and tell us, you know, what we're doing is fantastic. We're building a community. And I think, I think the, the serious folks, the, um, you know, the non curmudgeons, uh, in our space who have struggled with this for decades in their own unique ways, look at what we're doing and just saying, yes, finally, this is finally someone is, is, uh, allowing this to happen. Someone's allowing us to have these voices and kind of pushing the envelope, pushing the direction, um, of where we think insurance should be moving towards. So I think it's been very well received. That's great. That's great. I, you know, and I'm so glad to hear it. And again, you know, to, to get back to us working together is I, you know, there, there shouldn't be this wall between all the different components of the insurance industry. If we really want to 
move forward as an industry is we need to, you know, be together and join the different components. Completely. Yeah. So, you know, how, how do you see the financial services industry taking this all in and digesting this and moving forward? Do you think we as an industry can, you know, innovate in that way? Sure. I, I don't see any, like I said, I, I think that there's been a way we've always done business. And I think we have a younger generation that's coming up that just refuses to accept that. And so, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see it in very subtle ways and not so subtle ways. The not so subtle ways will, you'll see, you know, folks coming into these organizations pushing for radical change. Mm-hmm. You'll see it in not so subtle ways where you'll see, you know, and there'll be people listening to this that will know um, how difficult it is to get uh, talent to mm-hmm. come in. So you have to change or else no one's going to come work for your firm. If you're going to be in that siloed, stuffy, bureaucratic mess um, with uh, no opportunity to work from home, uh, the inability to advance in the company, you're going to be limited in the type of talent that you're going to get. And that's the not so subtle way. Both of those together will force change. That's great. I I think that's such a good point. Uh, You you know, because we do need to be able to attract, uh, you know, people to the industry and to the community, but also, you know, I, I think we have to deliver that so that consumers you know, up their approval rating of insurance agents. Uh, you know, I know, especially on the life insurance side is, you know, life insurance agents lack, I think they're a little bit higher than Congress in a, you know, in likability, that's, but. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's not a, a, a pin to wear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, uh, you know, excite people. I mean, I don't think you talk to a lot of kids and they say, boy, when I grow up, I, I want to work for the insurance industry. Uh, you know, I know when I came out of college, you know, I was not looking for a career in insurance, you know, so I'm kind of curious, did did you fall into insurance as well? Or did you have a plan to get into insurance? No, I fell in. Uh, I was, I had a science background. Uh, oh, sort of always fantasized that I would be some sort of uh, doctor medical Mm -hmm. or PhD research. Uh, I like numbers. I like analytics. Uh, Just, uh, I I guess, uh, in in hindsight, it's a little serendipity that I had a friend who was in insurance who took over his father's agency and invited me in. Uh, At the time where I needed to do something like that, I I was in graduate school um, and I was um, disheartened. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I guess, I guess I was just lacked patience, but science is really difficult and not in the way that most people think. The science itself is like extremely interesting, but doing science requires a lot of patience. Uh, I was running, I spent one summer running the same experiment day after day after day after for an entire summer. And I was like, I can't do this. Like this just doesn't fit my personality. And so um, I, was, I joined this uh, gentleman joined his agency. Uh, he told me I would make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still, still waiting. I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even afford a watch. Um, <laughs> so it, I did fall into it. There was enough there though. I, I specifically remember it was, uh, you know, fall ish. So the weather had cooled and I was reading against the gods by Peter Bernstein And there's a whole chapter on there, like on insurance and Lloyd's of London. And I was just like, I think I can do this. Like, I think there's enough here that I might like it. And, uh, and I did turn it into a career, but I'll, I'll have to be really honest. The first 10 years in insurance, I always assumed I would leave insurance and go into finance. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that I would be, you know, uh, at a hedge fund or something like that. And it wasn't until I got into catastrophe modeling that I found my home because it was the proper combination of science and engineering and numbers and economics. And there's a finance component too, because it's the catastrophe models that basically work out the pricing mm-hmm. for uh, 
for you know property insurance and with the advent of like catastrophe bonds finance was now an integral part of insurance and i said i found my home like i don't i don't need to go into finance because i'm doing something that's even funner even cooler than finance so uh it it worked out really well that's great yeah you know that brings home with me so you know and and i see that actually as part of the mission um of what insurance nerds is doing. I mean, do you feel like insurance nerds is helping people find their home in the insurance industry? Yeah, completely. I think there are, it was insurance nerds was started and geared towards young professionals. So Mm -hmm. it was Tony and Carly's way of giving back to a community or creating a community where it's like, Hey, we're all in this together. Let's, let's help each other study. Let's help each other build our careers if necessary, let's help each other do business together. And it's evolved into something much bigger than that, where I think even senior execs at companies are like, hey, you know, we need to be worried about that too. What are the young professionals thinking about um, mm-hmm. as, they, as they develop and build their careers? Uh, so absolutely, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's expanded well beyond where we thought it would, but I, I, think, it's, I, think, it's, I think we are the voice of uh, the future of insurance, the, the young professional. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor, really. Well, that's great. Yeah, and, and I think you hit on something too with the executives. I think, you know, I, I'm at the tail end of the baby boom and yet I identify more with this sector. And I would imagine a lot, you know, people my age are the ones who are running insurance companies. Nowadays, you know that there's an older generation that are still uh, in executive positions, but you know, for the most part, it's the tail end of the baby boomers that are in executive positions at the insurance companies. And I think that those of us at the tail end of the baby boom and the next generation, which you're part of, are are seeing that and feel more naturally inclined to be part of that type of community. I agree. Rather than yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. And, and, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of the baby boomers that are running these insurance companies, you know, they're running it the way an MBA course curriculum would tell them to run it. Mm-hmm. And, and as much as I do believe the uh, purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder value, how you do that matters greatly. Mm-hmm. And I think there is value uh, that can be uh, created for shareholders that does good in a, in a, in a way that expands beyond what insurance is. And, and, and Tony, I, I explain it. I think it's as simple as this. Insurance should be a last resort. Insurance is a spillover. Insurance mm-hmm. is, hey, we've done everything we can to prevent the loss from happening. And when the loss did occur, we did everything we can to mitigate the size of the loss and this is the spillover from that. Please help us. That's insurance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would completely agree. And we have not fulfilled the f- first two parts of the framework. Insurance companies do very little when it comes to preventing and mitigating losses. Sending an email or having a blog post telling people to clean out their gutters is not loss control. Mm-hmm. It's not. You know what loss control is? Loss control is working with homeowners in California to prevent their homes from burning down from a wildfire. Yeah. That's loss control. Like literally, we, we will work with you to put in ember-resistant vents. We will, we will help you uh, transition from uh, wood shingle roofs to asphalt or clay tile. Uh, we will work with you to, pr- to clear out the landscaping. Um, that's loss control insurance. Com- most insurance companies don't do that. Again, it, a lot of it is legacy. Some of it's economics, but, uh, I don't even think there's any impetus for them to offer those services. And I think it goes part and parcel with they're running, they're running the insurance company the way an MBA course would tell them to run it. I think there's a better way that we want. Definitely. We would like to, we would like to be a part of that voice. Definitely. No, I, I completely agree. Um, 
that that I think it's that how we serve and connect with the consumer and with each other is, you know, and I, I think it is changing. I think, uh, you know, it was the business roundtable recently put out a statement that it's not the purpose of a corporation just to enhance shareholder value, that corporations have a bigger social duty uh, than just I, making money. I, but I think the social duty is part of the shareholder value. Yeah. Like I, oh, I, definitely. I, I think that's, it's part of it. I, um, you know, l- listen, who, who do you want to, who do you want to do business with? Just personally, do you want to do business with someone you can go down and have a conversation with who's pleasant, who will look out for your best interest or someone who's just looking to make money off of you? It's not even a question who people want to do business with. So, mm-hmm. So maximizing shareholder value is empty. It's yeah. yes, you have a responsibility to do that, but there's lots of different ways to do that. That's, that's been my point is you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Um, you can, you can create a ton of value by implementing loss control and other things into your insurance mission statement. Yeah. I just, uh, I love what you just said. Uh, about implementing loss control. In fact, I'm making a note to make sure I get that in the show notes. That, that's a great point. So, you know, to uh, start wrapping this up is, um, what's your number one tip that you would give people on financial preparedness? So I knew you were going to ask this question. Uh, <laughs> it, would be, it would be to get the Get Ready book. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, like I think uh, stay tuned to... Tony Stewart and listen to what he has to say. Uh, I lived in California and in New York City. Uh, I lived in New York City during Sandy. Uh, and I remember the late rush to get batteries and to, uh, I remember my wife got like thick winter gloves because she said we may need to break glass. Mm-hmm. And like we were thinking through all of the stuff that could happen in a disaster where we wouldn't have electricity and we wouldn't have food. Um, and I, and that kind of tra- transitioned over when we moved to California, wh- which was, uh, you know, what if the big earthquake occurred and we couldn't get to an ATM and we didn't have electricity, we didn't have internet, what would we need? And we sort of built a plan around that. we got a piggy bank and we stuffed it full of cash and coin um, we had, uh, we filled our garage with spare bottles of water, um, canned food. We did those sorts of things. And I think your book is a great primer on things that you wouldn't even necessarily consider are important, but are extremely important. You know, doc, your whole chapter on documentation and having a, uh, I, I forget what you call it, a go pack or something where you can just grab it and go. Mm-hmm. and you need that documentation. What's my insurance policy number? You may not be able to get to the internet, you know, to get your policy mm-hmm. number or the, or the, the, the claim number. Um, how are you going to get a phone line? Just those things are extremely important. So I would recommend, uh, I'm trying not to make this self-serving, but get the get ready book and work in the workbook and follow Tony Stewart because if you want to be financially prepared, I haven't met too many other sites or areas where they've done as much work on this as you have and as broad and as, as deep. Definitely. Well, and you know, you, you hit on exactly the reasons why um, I wrote the book is um, I was involved with an organization, United Policyholders. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they um, advocate for policyholders, but they also work directly with FEMA on helping homeowners file insurance claims. And I saw that, you know, there's this huge disconnect uh, between that and getting a FEMA claim started and what people need to have to do that. And they're not prepared. And, you know, as an industry, this gets back to the industry. What could the industry do to help people at that point? Um, You know, they could help them beforehand, by, you know, saying, it, and that's almost a loss mitigation strategy. It's not quite loss mitigation, but, you know, okay, if this does happen, here's how you're going to be able to deal with it ahead of time instead of like, okay, you need to file a claim, go to the website, figure out all the steps to file a claim. It's like, 
okay, what will make it easier for you? Any of it, you have to file a claim. And that's, you know, that's where I think all the new people coming in the industry because they're looking at it differently. Millennials have a different outlook than the baby boomers and how they solve problems and how they are prepared is um, they take it more upon themselves to be prepared uh, rather than counting on others. Completely. Yeah. So where can people learn more about uh, Nick and all the various things that you're involved with? Yeah. So the, the best way to reach me would be either on LinkedIn, uh, Nick Lamparelli, um, uh, Twitter, at Nick underscore Lamparelli. Uh, those are the two easiest ways to follow me and to get in touch with me. Um, the blog site is uh, for insurance nerds is INS. So we just shorten insurance okay. to insnerds.com. Uh, there you can get uh, the blog, podcasts, yours included, upcoming events and webinars. Uh, and for 2020, we're, we're going to transition to a more community-oriented site. So that's where a lot of folks can kind of get together. We do have a Slack channel. You can uh, get access to that through our site. But that'll give you, that Slack channel will give you a flavor of what the community is like and how we help one another. That's great. And for everybody who's listening, is um, all of those links will be in the show notes, uh, so you don't have to go back and keep <laughs> trying to write that down. Yeah. Uh, Nick, um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's just a real pleasure having you on and learning more about insurance nerds and uh, Rethought. It's a pleasure is all mine. It's good to have you as a friend. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm ecstatic about your podcast and your message. So anything I can do to help spread the word. Definitely. Well, and likewise, you know, for people um, who are listening to me and aren't familiar with insurance nerds, I would strongly urge you uh, to take a look at insurance nerds, you know, especially if you're in the insurance industry, but if you're in the greater financial services community or in another industry and get an idea of how different generations can work together and approach solving issues in a different way. Um, so that's it for this issue, uh, this edition of the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast. Thank you for listening. And please remember to subscribe. subscribe. Until next time. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Nick. <laughs>